Garage Takes Season 3, Episode 21. Uh, we are excited to be here tonight for several reasons that we will get into here in just a bit, but I want to welcome everybody to the podcast, and if you have not done so already, make sure you like, follow, hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, positive comment, or just comments in general go a long way, especially over on that YouTube channel, um, which is continuing to grow, it seems, every single week. Uh, we're just super excited. The, these last couple of weeks, we've had videos going over two and 3,000 views and 70 comments. It's just absolutely awesome just to see the engagement right now from uh, from Michigan fans and fans of other teams, Alabama, that uh, they're playing. It's just, this is what it's all about. This is what sports is all about. It's why we do the podcast and why we come at you guys every week with, uh, with new content. So uh, make sure that you hop over to that YouTube channel, subscribe if you haven't done so already, and engage with us. We are... Uh, we that that's the best part of this, absolutely. So, uh, Brant, want to welcome you in tonight. How are you, man? Doing fantastic. Uh, a, a fantastic start to the new year on New Year's Day with obviously Michigan, and Dave. Not not very many weekends does something happen like this where you get the Lions on Saturday in a nationally televised game that makes for national content. And then Michigan is then involved in a game where it's nothing but national content. So everybody, it feels like the national spotlight is on Michigan from this weekend. And, it, you know, it's just great to see because we talk about them all the time, whether it be Lions or Michigan football. And now it seems like ESPN's talking about them, Fox Sports, like all the YouTube content <laughs> feels like it's talking about Michigan, whether it be the Lions or uh, Michigan uh, football and Lord knows we need it because, um, you know, it's about time Michigan football gets to where they need to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think that is the the perfect starting point. Um, I, I want to do two parts here on the podcast tonight. The first is I want to just talk through as a Michigan fan just what this means for for you, what it what it means for this program. Um, and then I want to absolutely hop into to Michigan versus Washington. Like that's the that's that, that's the meat and potatoes right now that everybody wants to talk about is, is that match but matchup. But Brant, talk me through Monday night for you watching that game, not even from an emotional standpoint, but just from a football standpoint. What were your takeaways watching this Michigan football team that we've watched all year long um, truly? dominate um and you know part of that is their schedule which we've heard about over and over and over um and then obviously we know they beat Penn State they beat Ohio State but both those teams got dusted in their bowl games I understand um you know there were players not playing but regardless uh didn't represent the Big Ten super well um Michigan takes on Alabama college football playoff third year in a row. We know what happened the first two years, year one in 2021. Uh, they were just simply not good enough uh, to take on that fierce Georgia team. And I think we just all learned at that, at that point in time, we're not there yet, but it was awesome to arrive. And then 
fast forward, or I guess rewind to 2022, you get the matchup you want with TCU and you just don't get it done. And so then the question set in, right? Can Jim Harbaugh get it done? Can he win in the postseason? Um, it didn't appear that way. Well, now he's going against uh, Nick Saban, you know, arguably the the greatest college football coach of of all time uh, in Alabama, regardless of what people say about this Alabama team or, or you know, compare it to, to old teams. It's Alabama and it's the SEC. And Michigan came out Monday night. And I want to know your thoughts, Brant. How did you feel? Obviously, they won the game, and we will we will talk about that. How did you feel watching this Michigan team stack up against a team like Alabama? Something I had not seen before. Um, something that uh, is new to us as fans about winning a game that, one, we had to scrape, claw, and fight back for. That's not something that we have necessarily seen from Michigan um, and I felt <laughs> vindicated in a way. And the way that I, the, the reason that I think that Dave is, um, I just want to read you a few comments from, from the comment section last week on the YouTube, uh, on the YouTube post. So we're just going to go with, uh, this guy's name is Alabama fan. Number one, uh, Michigan will not match up. Well, seems like Michigan fans did not watch college football before this season. Uh, to his point, you know, Before the season, Michigan hadn't done anything in the postseason, so yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But um, it seems like Alabama, uh, you know, they they folded late and they didn't match up well. Uh, you have their offensive linemen saying, "Yep, Michigan's got the best defense in the nation. That's the best defense we've seen." And he played against Georgia, so when you have their offensive line saying that after the game, that goes to show you, um, you know, what how good that defense is. This is Alabama fan number two, Dave. Milrow has seven turnovers in 12 games, six interceptions, and one fumble on a strip sack. Two of his NITs came in the second game against Texas. Calling him turnover turnover prone is a stretch. That was something that I called him. And, Dave, Michigan didn't capitalize on the turnover that Milrow gave, but it felt like Milrow was on a verge of something all game that he didn't want to force. And I think that was a big part of the game, Dave, where Milrow didn't feel comfortable in the pocket because of what Michigan did to him, and he played scared. He played with what he knew what to do, which was run the football. Anytime he took a deep shot, which was actually only a few, he didn't he didn't seem comfortable with his throws. It was more of a duck and chuck situation that they basically had no chance to catch. Um, all right, and I would like to go to Alabama fan number three. This might end up being yet another bad lopsided semifinal game, 34-13 Bama. Okay, Alabama fan number four. Okay, this is my last one. Again, Michigan has not seen the physical and speed that Alabama has. They have a tackle problem. Alabama has pros everywhere, especially at linebacker. I don't even know where to start with that one. Uh, Michigan's tackles actually played pretty well. They held up decently. And um, I didn't see anybody on the Alabama defense that gave me major concern. And I think that was because of Michigan's offensive game plan. The coaching really saved them from that defense and what they do best. There was a lot of pre-snap candy. There was a lot of things going on that had a lot of confusion for um, Alabama's defense. So 
Um, Dave, I know you asked with just how I felt about the game, but I wanted to get in the game a little bit and just talk um, just just what it meant for us as, as the podcasters. And, and you know, we, we have to stand in the paint for this kind of stuff, you know. Like, we have to put ourselves out here with our takes, and our takes were pretty much right on. So I felt vindicated, and I also felt like, damn it, it was about time that we got something done in the postseason. I felt like Michigan, first of all, played one of one of their worst games of the season in terms of just uncharacteristic mistakes that we just have not seen from this team this year. And it had nothing to do with Alabama or it was Michigan shooting themselves in the foot, right? You're talking multiple muffed punts. Um, you're, you're talking about Roman Wilson making just a, a dumb block in the back in a key moment of the game. Like there, the, the list goes on of, of things that I'm just like, Oh my God, like Michigan is, they're shooting themselves in the foot. And what was so frustrating and the way I felt watching the game was, and this is like, I would be the first to jump on this podcast and say like, we were overmatched. We weren't ready. We weren't whatever. I think the most frustrating part about that game throughout it was, and I think I texted you and Kurt this, Michigan's clearly the better football team. And I understand what the score was up until the end of the game. I, I totally understand that. It's a fair argument. But anybody who watched that game could tell you Michigan was the better football team. Defensively, Jesse Minter, here are your flowers. What he dialed up in that game was incredible. They made Jalen Milrow's life an absolute nightmare. Now, their center didn't do him any favors, snapping the ball into the ground. Caden Proctor, that true freshman left tackle, we talked about on the last last podcast, he got exposed right out of the gate. And, and the thing about this Michigan front is that they may not have the the Aiden Hutchinsons or the Chase Winovich or or, or whatever that they, they've had over, over the years. But this is the deepest room I've ever seen them have. The way they rotate guys in, they keep them fresh, they have different skill sets. Um, it's it's elite. And it was frustrating to me to watch the game to just, you know, like one mistake I didn't even mention, like right out of the gate, JJ throws that first ball, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What like so lucky that uh, his foot was out of bounds, but still it's like, I'll take JJ McCarthy as the next person to talk about, you know, he did not have a perfect game by any means. He missed throws. He'd be the first to tell you that. But in the biggest moment when we needed him to deliver, he did. And that's just what this team, what this program hasn't done in past years. They deliver in the biggest moments. Um, and JJ did exactly what he needed to do to march that team down the field, to tie that game that eventually sent it into overtime to, to win it. Um, and, and the last person that I want to talk about is Blake Corum um, legacy game. And he has, if he didn't already cement his legacy at the university of Michigan, that kid absolutely did it Monday night against Alabama. He breaks Anthony Thomas's all-time record for rushing touchdowns in a in a season, but it was just so much bigger than that. It was the plays he made, the fourth and two catch, the big play there, and then obviously the uh, you know the the run in overtime to kind of seal seal the deal. Um, I can't say enough about this team, these guys, these names that just it felt like from this past 
honestly, like from the moment they lost last year to TCU and previewing what the season would be, it's like this is everything on paper that it was supposed to be, and it's delivered up until this point. Um, and they finally, and, and we talked about it last week on the podcast. This is why I felt like this game was so important, a non-negotiable that you had to win because you can bury the past right now. Okay, you're over that hump. Now, sure, the next hump is a very, very big hump, and that's winning a national championship. But to beat Alabama on that stage in the most iconic setting in college football in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl and seeing J.J. McCarthy with the rose in his mouth at the end of the game just gives you Charles Woodson vibes. And I'll take it back to 1997. And, man, it just feels eerily similar. It seems like no matter what is thrown at this team, they show up, they show out, they're disciplined, they're well-coached. And I think Nick Saban, and I and I guess this will be the last thing that I'll say about, about Alabama and this game before we just talk about the emotional aspect of this is – Nick Saban, for all the the crap that I've probably given him over the years, he's not been the most likable guy by any means. I'm not even saying he is a likable guy. But the way that he took this loss with such grace and dignity and basically admitted to uh, the fact that Michigan outcoached them. He didn't use those words, um, but he took it you know, as, as the coaching staff and said, look, that's a really good, really good uh, Michigan football team and really well coached. Um, he gave Michigan their uh, their flowers and the Alabama f- players a- as well. Um, they they just I, I was just blown away by just overall right. I know we talk about some of the Bama fans and stuff, but as a program as unlikable as they can be, just because they've been Alabama for the last fifteen years or whatever it's been, um, man. They took that 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 loss with a lot of dignity and a lot of grace. And I guess you can do that when you've won like multiple national championships over the last several years. So I think it's a little easier to take that one on the chin. But uh man, just an absolutely incredible, incredible win for for Michigan in this program. Brant, quickly, short little segment here. That moment, I want you to take me to it. Michigan goes to they survive and make it to overtime after that muff punt that just scared the crap out of me they luckily make it to overtime um talk me through your emotions there uh as Michigan gets the football well let me take you before they get the football <clears throat> Michigan out of nowhere calls a timeout for apparently no reason and they aren't asked about it nobody has talked about it um, that was one of the most mind-blowing, odd situations I've ever seen where you can just go into overtime. You don't have to take another snap. Dave, we have seen too many fluky, he has trouble with the snap, moments in Michigan football history for us to be calling some sort of random timeout to make us snap the ball again on the half-yard line and not do any sort of tush-push situation we're just trying to knee it and keep it out of the end zone it had me absolutely baffled bizarre that was bizarre i totally forgot about that until you just brought that up that was (laughs) bizarre that's because we got away with it in a weird way and there was absolutely no reason besides bringing everybody i guess over to say you know what you don't have to calm down because you're going to overtime i i just i don't understand any of that so um anyway dave let's move on from that we're going to overtime alabama wins the toss and i immediately got upset because i'm thinking i do not want to get the ball first here um 
Although my second thought was, well, we just came off the field on a pretty good drive. Um, so maybe we're hot right now. Maybe, maybe this, maybe this team has some momentum right now. This is, this might not be a bad thing. Two runs later, Blake Corum spinning into the end zone. It felt like out of nowhere, but as you watch that happen, I felt like, thank God we can trust Jim Harbaugh to kick a, to kick an extra point here. And I know I was watching that extra point on pins and needles, but I never wanted Michigan to go for two. I never felt like in that moment that you needed to risk it for the biscuit to put up an eight point lead. It wasn't worth it to me. You make Alabama go score their touchdown. And if they want to put the game on a two point conversion, then they sure can. But I loved the way that Harbaugh handled that situation. I love the pl- the two play calls down the stretch in overtime. Again, out coaching Alabama. And when Jalen Milrow hits his run, he falls down at like the nine yard line, making it one of the most tough positions right there, right? You've got four downs now from the 10 yard line, basically uh, to, to get it in the end zone. I felt very comfortable with that. So I love that they got set up with that first and goal from the nine or 10. And then obviously Dave, you didn't mention Mason Graham earlier, but I know you know how crucial that play was to absolutely go into the backfield, blow that play up kid from Anaheim, California in front of all of his friends and family to make a play like that. Just a grinder, man. Just a kid that you feel absolutely great for um, that kind of has waited his turn. I know he was a phenom last year, but um, has come up through the ranks, and now he's going to be an absolute all-star coming into next season. And, um, man, with with basically, to me, the play of the game, because that backs him up. Now they're in the third and goal. They, they hit that pass on the third down. They're in the end zone, Dave. You know, but with the with the negative play, they're at the three yard line or four yard line. Now Milrow's got to do his thing, and and we all saw how the fourth down played out. So, I, I just wanted to point out that Mason Graham play because I think that was the moment, Dave, where I said, "Oh my God, this might be it." Two plays. You are two plays away from going to the national championship. And it just felt like that defense had all the momentum at that moment. And uh, I I will say, you talked about Nick Saban quickly. I will talk about Jalen Milrow. While he's not perfect, while he's not by any means an NFL quarterback today, that guy put that Alabama team on his shoulders and willed them with bad snaps and all to be in a position to win a football game against the number one team in the country. And and for that that guy, that dude needs to be um you know he gets all the he gets his flowers too because um he is a load to handle he is an absolute freight train when he's running downhill and um to his credit his offensive line made enough holes for him to get through but man when he is he is heading downhill at you Mike Sanders still didn't want that smoke man like it felt like time after time he was just kind of pushing dudes to the side. And, um, you know, that, that was the game in the nutshell. At the risk of, of just sounding just like a, a laughable Michigan fan for what I'm about to say, because any Alabama or Georgia fan or Ohio State, Clemson, whatever. By the way, this is the, uh, the first year in the college football playoff history that one of those four teams I just named are not in the championship game, which is just an insane stat. Um, but understanding that what I'm about to say is just like, oh, gosh, Michigan fans, you're just so desperate. Yeah, 
we are desperate. Because I'm going to tell, I'm going to talk you through my emotions of that game, and and I'm not going to bring you back to the start of overtime. Brant did a great a great job recapping that. But when it came down and it's fourth and goal, I fall to my knees on my living room floor. Okay, I am basically covering my head, and I'm rocking, and I'm scared, and with a uh, my buddy Mike, who uh, joined us on the podcast earlier this year, and he's crouched down, and it's just you can hear a pin drop in the in the house, just because nothing, Brant, nothing as a Michigan fan has gone our way. It just hasn't. Okay, we've been close. We've we've scratched the surface. We've been right there, and it just doesn't ever quite get over that hump. But when they collapsed on Jalen Milrow and I saw the, the Michigan sidelines and these players go sprinting down the field, I'm like, I just, I just couldn't believe it. Like it was a surreal moment. We're screaming, we're yelling. It's emotional. My kids are here. Their friends are here and everyone's just like screaming at the top of their lungs. And it was like, in that moment, I'm like, dude, this is what it's all about as a, as a sports fan, as a Michigan fan is like, these are the moments, like even for my own kids where I'm like, I don't want you to ever forget this. Like, this is what it's about. People laugh about sports and say, oh, it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of life. Man, as a diehard sports fan, that's what, those are the moments that you live for right there. And as I'm tucking my son in, uh, that, that night, at uh gosh, we were up late to the 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 halftime game of uh Washington, Texas. I'm tucking him in, and he looks over at me and says, Dad, Michigan did it. They actually did it. He's four years old. And I'm like, dude. All he knows they, is winning. <laughs> that's you're right. All he knows is winning, but I'm like, dude, they did do it. And uh Man, what a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, you're not a national champion yet. I understand that. But with it being the Rose Bowl, with it being Alabama, with it being Jim Harbaugh against Nick Saban, and all the controversy that has surrounded Harbaugh, this program, the NFL, you name it, um, just a surreal moment and one that I don't ever want to forget. Dave, did, did it seem like to you that it – just meant a little more. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and look, Alabama fans will laugh and be like, oh, well, hey, yeah, look at there. We're, we're here every year. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you are right. Guess who hasn't been there? Me. I haven't. Not my team. All right. So, yeah, it meant a little bit more. I think it meant a little bit more to those players as well. Yeah. No, I totally get it, man. I'm with you. All right, man. We got to transition here into the next big topic. Washington takes down Texas. We don't need to recap that whole game. I think some of what we'll talk about will lend lend us to talk about some of the things that we maybe saw in that game. Um, but Brant, I want to hop right into because I mean, right now we're recording this on Wednesday night, man. Well, we're five days away from the national championship game. Um, we got to break this game down. It seems like a crazy quick turnaround. I know it's just a week, but it's like, oh wow, we got a national championship coming up. Brant, Washington. I got to get into to, to Washington, who they are, their identity. Clearly, Michael Penix Jr. is the identity of, of this football team. But you're talking about the best offense in college football against arguably the best defense in college football. Um, and 
it is going to be a matchup for the ages. I wish it was the Rose Bowl as the national championship, especially because it's Big Ten, Pac-12, uh, which, by the way, SEC, um, this is a Big Ten championship game. Just get used to this as Washington joining the Big Ten next year, um, which is just awesome. But I'm beyond excited for the matchup. Brant, I want to start with things that make you – so this is going to be a two-part segment. Things that make you – concerned about what Washington's going to bring to the table against Michigan and things that make you confident that Michigan can win this football game. Let's start with concerns or just talking through what you feel like will could put Washington over the top against Michigan. So um, you want, you want concerns, but my concerns about Michigan. Okay. Um, oh no, my concerns about Washington. I'm sorry. Right. Your your concerns uh, about just as a Michigan fan, what Washington's going to bring to okay, the table gotcha. to this game? Yeah, obviously they bring three NFL receivers, um, and I think everybody knows that, right? They bring Michael Penix, they bring the offense, the high flying. Um, and Dave, I told you this earlier. I, I've heard Michigan fans say, "Hey, this is this is going to be our toughest game yet because it's an air raid. They're going to be throwing it all over the place." We'll just pump the brakes there for a second because it's not an air raid offense. They still run the ball. This is still going to be a physical game. Washington wants to win the line of scrimmage. They have no desire to throw it 50 times in this game. That's not how this game is going to play out. So Michigan needs to be ready to be punched in the mouth by Washington. And don't be surprised if this game is like 14-10 at halftime or or 13 something similar to Alabama where maybe there's a couple busted plays or something but I don't I don't expect the uh the scoreboard to be lit up uh per se. So I think what's going to happen in this what Michigan needs needs to be doing is Michigan has a fantastic secondary. There's there's no way around it. They can play man if they want. They can play zone against these guys. I would recommend playing a little more zone against these three wide receivers and making them kind of settle, maybe some mesh routes, but but try to take away the deep ball if you can. I like too high safety in this thing. And let me tell you a little bit about their secret weapon. Um, and Dave, he's a former Spartan, uh, Jeremy Bernard. He is a jack of all trades. He's a little bit of a Donovan Edwards, but they do more with him. It's almost what I want to see Michigan do with Donovan Edwards. But he is an absolute – Talk about a freight train. That dude is also a freight train. He will run you over. He is he is fast. Like <laughs> he's a dude that can get downhill quick too. And they'll they'll have him out of the backfield. They'll run him into the slot. They'll do different things with him. Um, and and he can be a real difference maker in this game. And and Michigan needs to be ready for him. I think a matchup with him and Mikey Sanders still sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Although um, with Mikey, he he may be. Um, he may be in coverage a lot in this game. I don't think he's going to be in the box very much. I don't think that Washington's run game really gives me anything to be concerned about. They didn't do anything to Texas that I thought, holy crap, we've got to load up the box and stop Dylan Johnson. Dylan Johnson's a good running back, but I don't have a concern that our front four can't stop him. Now, on the other side of that coin is you got to get to Michael Penix. Now, you may not be able to sack him a ton. Nobody sacks him a ton, and that's okay. You're going to want to pressure him, though. You make him feel the pressure in the pocket, gets a little bit of uh, arid with the throws. Maybe he gives you some takeaway balls. But Michael Penix is a shifty dude. He will shift around. He will make plays. He will extend plays. And, Dave, I don't know if you saw this in the Texas game, but they had some designed runs for him. 
And now that that's on camera, you know, not, <laughs> now that, that that's on film now. Uh, they didn't do it at all during the year, really. But now that is in the back of Michigan's head. Like, hey, is it going to Dylan Johnson or is Michael going to keep this one and, and try to bust it for 10 to 15 yards? He's not going to be taken off down the field very far, but enough for a first down, that's for sure. So Michigan needs to do everything to keep him in front of him, you know, and Michael Penix is going to make plays. He throws one of the best balls in college football. So I don't know how many times you've seen him Washington this year, Dave, but I know you've seen them do enough of the over the head dimed right into the bread basket kind of a situation. They do that all the time. It's, it's go routes. It is him placing it in a tight window over a secondary's head. Um, they're fantastic at it. But Michigan's got a real chance if they can pressure Penix, take away Jeremy Bernard, and kind of keep those receivers in front of them. Brant, what about the offensive line for Washington? You know, they uh, Michigan won the Joe Moore Award two years in a row. Um, they didn't get the title this year. They shouldn't have. Washington got it. Now, you can argue that the Pac-12 uh, teams, their defenses and, and all of that look a little bit different than the, the Big Ten or, or the SEC. Um, but what about this offensive line is, like, do, do you feel like they will hold up well against Michigan or is that an area that's that Michigan could win well here's the thing Dave Michigan did a lot of things that we haven't seen against Alabama they brought twists they brought stunts they were blitzing linebackers left and right they were blitzing corners and I hadn't seen very many corner blitzes all year so um I think that they won the Joe Moore Award because they kept Michael Penick so clean. They, they weren't mauling people and, and gaining 300 yards a game on the ground. That was not their game. But, you know, if, if your quarterback only gets sacked less than 10 times in the year, that is a fantastic stat. I mean, Milrow got sacked six times on Monday night. So um, I think it's a testament to how well that Michael Penix is able to have pocket presence and be able to shift around in the pocket, and they and – they, build a beautiful pocket for him. It's Michigan's job to get those stunts, to get those blitzes and get home on Michael Penix. Absolutely. And, and I think you, you named it in terms of what Michigan brought to the table. That was different in this Alabama game. It was different than what you saw against Ohio state against any other team um, that they played this year. And it was a beautifully called game by Jesse Minter. I think they're clearly going to need to do some of that same stuff and, and keep Washington on their toes um, and, and just get in on Penix as, as much as they can. You do not want him comfortable back in that pocket. I'm not asking you to have another six sack game, um, but they definitely have got to, to, to get some pressure on him. I think he throws the best ball in college football. And one thing I'll say about him is um, not that the Heisman Award matters for anything. I think he said it himself. It's about a national championship. But the fact that Michael Penix Jr. is not your Heisman and Jane Daniels is, I'm not taking anything away from that kid. Um, but I just strongly disagree with it. And in fact, just speaking of this Washington team in general, um, I think they've been slept on all year. I, I do. I think, Brand, you named it weeks ago. You were like, this is the one team I don't want to play. You're spot on. Um, they are undefeated for a reason. Um, they beat a very good, in one of my opinion, one of the best teams in college football this year, Oregon Ducks, not once, but twice. Um, and so this is a very good football team. This is not just three NFL wide receivers and Michael Penix Jr. It's a very good football team. Um, I want to flip on the other on, on the other side of the of the ball and talk about 
Washington's defense, but really talking about Michigan's offense as well um, and what you think will work against this against this defense. What would you like to see them do? Now, I don't think you have to do all the pre-snap candy stuff for Washington. I think you got to get, um, you know, you got to get up and down the field uh, through the tackles. I think that's where they're they're most mostly weak. At, and I don't think they want to play four quarters with Michigan like that. They don't want to get in the grind fest. They don't want to go into the bow constrictor that is Michigan. They're going to do everything that that they can to avoid it. Washington's not going to want to go up and down pace in the entire game. That's not going to be their game. They're going to want to possess the ball too. They're going to want to run the football. They're going to want to do stuff like that too. What's interesting about this, Dave, is while Michigan has the advantage on the ground, I, I think they have a slight advantage in the air with the tight ends again. We didn't want, we didn't see Barner and Colston Loveland against Alabama at all, hardly, did we? we? We saw some trick plays and stuff because Alabama's defense is really good. Like that's probably a top five defense in the country. Um, that's not Washington. Washington's like a top 50 defense in the country. I think there's going to be plays there to be had. I don't think JJ's going to force anything, but I think rhythm football is going to be huge for him. And I went back and I watched the game. I watched the Rose Bowl game twice already, Dave. Um, and, and what I saw from JJ was he was locked in on his first read because he was getting happy feet. He wanted to be out of the pocket. He wanted to be on the move. If he were to sit in the pocket, he had mesh concepts all day against Alabama. He just wasn't throwing them, and they were wide open. I think you have to do that against Washington. I think you've got to take the easy stuff. Let guys be playmakers. Let Roman Wilson be a playmaker. Let Colson Loveland be a playmaker. Let Cornelius Johnson be a playmaker. And get the ball out, distribute it quickly, and Michigan needs to move the ball between the tackles. I don't. I don't want to see deep shots. Really, I don't think we need all that. Like that. That seems overly stressful for no reason. I think you're good enough with the guys that you got. And I want to quickly touch on the Washington defense. Washington defense has two players that really give me a little bit of concern. Uh, you know, Braylon Trice. He was the defensive MVP against Texas. He's all over the place. He's a great linebacker. Um, you know, defensive end combo guy. He's going to be on the edge. He's going to be playing. He's going to be dropping into coverage a little bit. He's a great player, but I, I they're not they're not beefy up front. I think we can handle those guys. And, and I think that um, the other kid that I like is the Muhammad kid. Uh, he he plays corner for them. He had a great game against Texas. He didn't have him going down late. Um, but <laughs> if you watch if you watch that end of that Texas game, Dave. Um. Their secondary got exposed a little bit, um, and I and I don't think Washington's secondary is nearly what Michigan's secondary is. So when we talk about Styles making fights, I think that you're going to get a, a defensive team against a really good offensive team and a, a really good offense against an average defense. Yeah, I I want to see Michigan play their game as much as as much as possible. I I don't want to see. Uh, TCU type of game last year where just the wheels kind of come off and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we're, we are trying to, to keep up in this sprint race right now to put as many points up as possible. And I don't think it's going to be that game. You alluded to that earlier. Um, but Michigan can't get down 14-0 early. They can't shoot themselves in the foot. They've got to play mistake-free football. Um, once again, I, I expect them to 
what we saw against Alabama was uncharacteristic of this team. Um, but they've got to they've got to cut down on that. They've got to be able to run the football. They ran the football really well against a very good Alabama defense. Blake Corum's going to get you four or five yards at a time. I'm totally comfortable with that. I agree, JJ. I don't need him to take some crazy shots down the field. Get in rhythm. Complete your passes. If you throw for 190 yards and a touchdown, great. Um, let let Blake Corum be your bread and butter. Get creative at times when you need to. I mean, you saw guys get involved. Samaj Morgan, I know he had the drop punt, but he was involved this last game. Tyler Morris made an absolutely outstanding play that was like out of left field. Um, you know, they may have some stuff up their sleeve. I, I still am wondering, like, Alex Orgy, every time he goes out there, it just seems so predictable with what they're trying to do. But I think maybe they have something dialed up. Um, but just all of that aside, play your game um, and, and play it very well. Be the disciplined team that you've been all year. And and I think that, that, that you can win this game. I do. Go ahead, Brent. Can I ask you a question, Dave? Um, who do you think is the best? Who do you think is the best defensive player coming into this game? Probably plays Will for Michigan. John. Will Johnson. That's the correct answer, actually. That is a fantastic mm-hmm. answer. I, he's seen Marv. He's seen Penn State's best. Uh, he, he absolutely sh- shut down uh, Jermaine Burton. Um, you know, three catches for how many ever yards he had. Um, was absolutely locked down against Alabama. I think his PFF grade was, like, off the charts. Um, it was, like, well, outstanding. It, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to – and I'm not – this is not anything against Washington fans. I haven't even heard it from them. But um, I've just seen different opinions out there that are like, oh, just, but this Michigan Michigan defense, they haven't seen any receivers like this before or this year. Okay. Yes. We, clearly they played Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Abuka. Like we, we know what Ohio State brings. But like to say that like they're somehow not battle-tested for that, like – have we looked at Ohio State wide, rec- wide receivers over the last few years and what this Michigan defense has done? I'm not saying they're going to stop these guys totally, but that boa constrictor defense over time is like, I feel pretty comfortable um, that that they are going to have a good game plan dialed up uh, to, to keep these guys in, in, in front of them as much as possible. So on the flip side of that, Dave, I want you to answer, who's the best offensive player in this game? I think it's got to be Michael Penix Jr., I, okay. I, I, I do. I, I think he's the, there's a lot of good offensive players to, to, <laughs> to choose from, whether it's Roma Junza or Blake Corum, even, I mean, dude, there, there's a lot of choices, but for me, um, I can't disrespect Michael Penix Jr. Like that. I feel like he's been disrespected nationally and I won't be the one to do it. Who do you, you know, think is the best I, offensive player? I love the Michael Penix Jr. Pick, but I love the second guy you mentioned, Roma Dunze. I, I, I know people rave about Marv, and I get it. Maserati, if I have to hear it one more time, I'm going to lose it. Um, but I absolutely love Romo Dunze. Like, he, if he's not the second receiver taken, I think something's broken. Uh, because I think he can charge, he can cha- challenge Marv for, for the best receiver in this class. Absolutely, he can. He is that dude. He is that good. Um, and I'm so excited to see Will Johnson be able to, uh, to match up with them. And, you know, McMillan and Polk, you know, those guys are studs too. I get it. Um, but, you know, our corners have stepped up. They have played excellent here down the stretch. And, um, Dave, you talk about a no-name defense. Like, 
there's dudes just stepping in and balling. Josh Wallace, uh, Quentin Johnson, uh, I mean, just McCarty Page, uh, you know, Rod Moore has been just an absolute animal all year, whether it be in the run game or, uh, you know, in, in pass, in, in coverage. Even getting a guy like Keon Sab, who's just yeah, like, just, just been a stud when play. they needed him to be. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, it, this is going to be a great matchup. I, what I love Brant, and then let's transition quickly to the lions here. We are up against it here with time, but this had to be a Michigan football yeah. podcast. Um, I just feel like there's nobody nationally that's like, these aren't the two best teams in college football. Like, okay, Georgia may be, still have something to, to say, whatever. Um, I think they would all agree, at least I hope anyway, like they didn't they didn't win the game they needed to win to, to, to be here. Um, you got two undefeated teams, two, I mean, I just, I feel like when you put like the best offense in college football against the best defense, this is going to be a great game. I hope to God that we are talking about a Michigan national championship next week. And, and if we are, I might cry through the podcast. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Brant, um, quickly on the Detroit Lions. Saturday night, we know, prime game. We know what happened against the Cowboys at the end of the game. Um, quickly, your elevator speech thoughts on on that and then i want to move right on to the next the next questions i have for you on the lions i won't spend a lot of time on it dan please kick it from the seven uh that's all i really have for you that i would have i would have kicked it from the seven and i know that dan is who dan is and dan is dan i i totally get it and and he wants to run his team his way but he had the cowboys on the ropes knock him out that Brant, that's actually one of the first question that I had for you tonight is specifically about Dan Campbell. I listened on the radio the last couple of days here locally, and I think Lions fans are split. You've got some that are like, they're so gung-ho on Dan Campbell and just like they love it, the aggressiveness, all of it, live and die by it, great. But you got another part of the fan base that's like sick and tired of like, when this doesn't go well, and you don't kick the extra point to to go to overtime. Um, I don't see people are fed up with Dan Campbell. I think he's holistically loved here around the around the city. Um, I am in the camp. So it sounds like you, Brant, are in the camp of like just just kick the extra extra point after you know you had like seven tries to to make that play work. It felt like um, I'm not in that camp, and and and, and this is why. Um, and, and I think it's fine to be in either one. There, I don't know if there's necessarily a right answer. Um, I think that this is who Dan Campbell is. It's the identity of this team. It's who he wants to be. Um, the differences with Dan is there's a lot of coaches and coach speak that say it, that talk about it, and he's actually out there doing it. Um, like no matter how big the game is, how big the moment is, how small the moment is, first quarter, fourth quarter, like it doesn't matter He's going to take these risks and take these shots, and I love it. I, I think that there, there's a reason why these players believe in him, his messaging. Um, and when he tells them that you know they're, they're going to drive the ball down the field and they're going for two to win the game, you can, you, there's not a player on the Lions that's like, wait, what? No, let's kick the extra point. Like these guys are dogs too, and they're bought into that mentality. They were ready to do it. It didn't work. You got bit by it. It's easy to criticize it now. But my thought, even in that moment, Brant, was I hate NFL overtime. 
it's the worst. Um, I hate the fact that you can drive down the field, score a touchdown, the game is over, but then a field goal, you know, you get a chance to run it back. I just, college football overtime is just so much better. So for me, it is the flip of a coin toss. And, you know, do you, do you give the ball up to, to Dak Prescott and that, and the Cowboys offense and CD lambs having like a career day. And yeah, you want to believe in that defense. I get that. Um, I certainly wasn't believing in Cam Sutton to to do anything with C.D. Lamb. And so I understand when you are there on the seven-yard line, the odds are, and I don't know what the analytics are at that point, but like probably not a bad idea to go and try to win that football game right there. Yeah, no, it's a 16% worse chance than you have from the four. So whatever that means to you. Um, so, Dave, you might be fine with the uh, the decision to go for it again once you get the offsides. Are you happy with the play call? No, not at all. Not at all. Why are you throwing it to a backup tight end is my question. Not at all. I, I, I guess um, I guess my thought there is you have Amon Ross St. Brown on the field. Uh, Jameer I, Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs. <laughs> uh, and uh, you do have your number one tight end still in the game, right? So what are what are we doing? Um, you know, don't that, get, that's probably don't my, get, don't get fancy or tricky in that moment. Yeah. Then that that's a fair point right there. I, I can agree with that. Absolutely. Don't get cute in those moments. You want to be gritty. You want to be aggressive. Go ahead and do it. Um, but don't get cute. Go and, and be aggressive, make a smart play call to put the ball in your best, uh, you know, your best, your best playmakers hands. And you just, we named a few of them right there that it could have gone to. So I think it's fair. I think, you know, People love Dan Campbell. Um, sure, they're frustrated by by this loss, um, and and obviously the debacle with the ref and checking in. As we got billboards around the city right now, you know, De- Decker checked in or whatever it was. And uh, it, I think Dan Campbell kind of summarized this whole thing best. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Um, I heard him on the on the radio. He's like, "Don't don't do that. Don't don't let's not let's not do this." Um, that's not, that's not who we are. We've got a lot of football left to play all of our goals in front of us. Um, you know, they're, they're already moved on. They're ready. You know, they're he, ready for Go ahead. No, he said, we'll see him in a couple of weeks. You know, Dan's already yeah. ready to see him again. So, uh, and, and the Cowboys clearly have an advantage with CD lamb over Cam Sutton. And we, we saw it all night long and, um, you know, it would be a great matchup again. Hopefully Derek Byrnes finds his arms. Uh, uh, you know, in that moment, make a tackle. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but other than that, Dave, I do, I do want to quickly say that if, if you're going to ride with Dan Campbell, just be ready to lose a game where you say, shoot, maybe, maybe the other way, <laughs> you know, this is just who he is and he's not going to win every game doing this, that, that you can't rely on the analytics all the time to get it. And I know there was a field goal opportunity earlier in the game that he also said, yeah, slide to the side. I might not need those three points. That's one that people should look at too and say, well, in the second quarter, maybe just kick it and take the points on the road. And maybe he will in the playoffs. You don't know how playoff Dan's going to be. We don't know. That that was the <laughs> next thing is like, I may have a totally different tune. If I watch this game play out the way it just did, 
and and the Lions are are losing and exiting the playoffs. Like different set of circumstances, but we don't we don't know what playoff Dan Campbell looks like. I got a pretty good feeling. I know what he looks like. And I think he looks pretty pretty similar to what you saw against the Cowboys here Saturday night. So I would yeah. just buckle up, get ready, because <laughs> be Dan is who he is. It's going to yep. be a long playoffs, uh, hopefully. Yep. Uh, yeah. But anyway, Dave, before we get into the bets, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a weekend where there were so many correlations between a Detroit Lions football game and a Michigan football game where it was like – it felt like what we went through on Monday night, you went through on Saturday night, and it was two coaches – that, that had beautiful game plans, that the coaching staffs looked brilliant. And then it would just seemed like, obviously, the Lions got screwed in the end. But, like, Harbaugh pushed all the right buttons, you know, whether it be to go for the extra point at the end or um, the fourth and two call to Blake Corum out of the backfield and, and all of the things that they were doing pre-snap and stuff like that. Like, the Roman Wilson sprint out, it looked like um, – that these were two completely prepared teams for the moment. And that is so refreshing to see as, as a fan of both teams. Brant last thing on, on the Lions. Sorry. I know we're really over on time tonight. Um, Who do you want to see Rams or Packers? Because the way it sits right now, if the Ram, the Rams are going to play the 49ers. Okay. The Rams announced today that they are sitting Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, they're resting all their guys. Now, the 49ers are resting CMC, potentially Brock Purdy. We don't know what's going to happen in this game. Um, the Rams win, and I believe they lock up the, the, the sixth seed, which is the most likely scenario for the Lions if they stay at three. The, the Lions are not moving to two unless the Eagles and the Cowboys both lose this weekend. That looks highly happen. unlikely. Yeah. Um, so – the Rams win. Looks like Matt Stafford's coming back to to, to Detroit. Um, there's a very good chance that they don't win. Um, and the Packers, I believe, p- play the Bears. If the Packers beat the Bears, um, they're going to jump into that sixth seed. Okay. And so my question to you, Brant, quickly is: Packers, Rams. You got the Matt Stafford story, and you got a Packers team that embarrassed you on Thanksgiving. Who'd you rather play? I'd rather play the Packers, and it's not even close. Um, the storylines that come along with Matthew Stafford walking back into Ford Field and saying these words on his way out, go ahead and turn those lights off till August, boys. Like, can you imagine what that would feel like? <laughs> like, that is the equivalent to your <laughs> – your ex walking into your house with their brand new girlfriend and being like, did you make us dinner? Where's it at? We came over to your house. Aren't you supposed to serve us? And then they just walk out and leave you and and steal all your money. I guess. I don't know. Like, it's just an outrageous thought that that could even so, be a possibility. <laughs> so help me God. If somebody shows up to Ford field in a Detroit Rams, not number nine Jersey, I'm done. I am absolutely done with this team. Um, on that note, Brant, bring us into the bets. So there's essentially a playoff game uh, Saturday night, Dave. Did you know that the Texans are playing the Colts? Um, the Colts are one-and-a-half-point underdogs at home against the Texans. Um, winner goes to the playoffs. Who do you like? I like the Texans to win this game. Um, I, I think that 
CJ Stroud was back this past week after missing after missing two weeks. Will Anderson, their other top five pick, um, had just a couple of huge plays, and they're just look. D'Amico Ryan's to me is the he 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 should be right there for coach of the year. Okay, um, I think the Texans win this game. And I think it would, I, I do, I understand the, whatever you said, one and a half points, Rex, I think it will be close. Um, but, you know, it pains me to say this, Brant, but I, I'm probably taking what CJ Stroud is bringing to the table over Gardner Minshew. And so that's probably the difference for, for me. What about you? Absolutely. I, I love this Texans team. Like, I think they have the it factor this year. Um, I think they do enough to get it done. CJ Stroud has been him this year. Uh, they've been they've been absolutely fantastic behind his <laughs> leadership. I don't know if either of us saw that coming last year at this time, but <clears throat> to his credit, and uh, you know his favorite target, Nico Collins, uh, Michigan guy. Absolutely, I like the Texans this weekend. Um, okay, let's do the Lions. Three and a half point favorites at home against the Vikings. This line is a little bit stinky for me, Dave. What do you like about the Lions this weekend, and what don't you like, maybe? I just don't like the fact that I don't see much for them to, to really play for. Like, I, I don't know. I Minnesota doesn't know what they're doing. I think they switched back to their, the other quarterback now this week. Um, I don't think that they're a a, a good football team by, by any means, but God, I just feel like this is going to be close. And I just don't know at the last minute, what Dan and, and this team are going to do in terms of do you play everybody and just, I mean, it seems like that is just a total Dan Campbell thing to do. Like regardless of the circumstances, like you're marching everyone out there. Maybe if you're a little dinged up going to the game, you're not playing, but um, I'm looking for health uh, out of this game, you know, for, for the lions. And I will take the Vikings with a plus three and a half. I'm not sure that they win this game, but I do think that it's, it's going to be fairly close. What about you? Yeah, Dave, I'm going to go opposite side of you, and I haven't picked the Lions to cover the spread very often this year, but I know that this place should still be rocking, and the Vikings stink on offense, and it just feels like if they can just get behind their pads and run the ball, they should beat the Vikings by at least a touchdown. So I like the home field advantage. I like them being able to move the ball on the ground enough to beat the uh, to beat the Vikings. So here we go, Dave. Also, division on the line, AFC East. All of a sudden, the Bills are are back from the dead. We buried them. I thought Josh Allen was done. Again, he puts out another stinker through the air, but he can run the ball into the end zone from three yards out, so he is now an accomplished quarterback. Um, so, Bills at Dolphins for the division. Dolphins. <laughs> Three-point underdogs at home. Brand, I'm pausing because I'm just not super confident with this with this pick. Um, I know Raheem Moster is down, but like a chain is sweet, and I know Jalen Waddle is down, but Tyreek Hill is him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm gonna go with the Bills here um, because, and I watched the Bills play this past weekend. I watched at one point, Josh Allen was like two of 11 for like seven yards. And it was like the second quarter. Um, But like you said, he can run the football in and they can get it down the field one way or or another. I think experience and having been there before will help them. Um, I'm going to take the bills to get it done, but I'm not overly confident here. 
What about you? I'm going with the Bills too. I just don't like the Dolphins' mojo right now. And it just seems like the Bills are doing enough to win and win ugly. And it seems like those are the types of games they feel very comfortable in. So I don't want anything to do with the Bills in a close game. I feel like they pull it out. So that's all I got for the the betting segment. All right. On that note, thanks for sticking with us here on the Garage Takes Podcast. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe. Hop over to the YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button as well. We greatly appreciate it, and we will pray, pray, pray to the football and the sports gods that the next time that we record this podcast, Season 3, Episode 22, we will be talking about your Michigan Wolverines as national champions. See you next time. Riverside.